Hi, my name is Shri and welcome to Masala Takes. Today we're going to be talking about fertility, birth and everything in between. So it's about to get personal. For those of you who don't know, I had two miscarriages and I had a year of something called unexplained infertility before I gave birth to my daughter. It was a huge roller coaster and I am very open about my experience. So I'm excited to get into these stories today. Welcome to Masala Takes, where I share my take on stories from the internet, community, culture, identity, and human dynamics. Today, I have found a couple of stories from Reddit all about fertility and birth, but before we get into it, I wanted to say something on a very serious note. As a human, but especially as a mother, my heart literally hurts for what's happening right now in Palestine. Right now, Gaza has become the biggest open-air prison where millions of people, family, children, are being denied basic human rights, water, food, healthcare, communication. They're being mass executed with no place and no way to escape. It's absolutely devastating. I understand that there's nuance to war, and I understand that I'm not an expert on the history. I'm learning as we go along. But I think we can all agree that as humans, as humanity, we cannot stand for this type of behavior. I have literally cried. I mean, looking at some of these videos and clips of Gaza have brought me to actual tears. If you're listening to this, you're privileged. And from this place of privilege, there's a lot that we can do. So I have included a few resources on ways that you can help in the description below. I know this seems like a late masala take, uh, but also please know that I film these episodes weeks in advance and I've included the same resources in all of the prior episodes as well. Thank you so much and let's get back to the episode. So this first story is from a subreddit called Am I the A-hole? It's one of my favorite from Reddit. It says, Am I the A-hole for lying to my friends and family about who has been infertile between my wife and I? My 32 female wife and I have been married for 7 years and have been trying to have a baby for 3. It has taken a toll on our marriage and I admit many times that I have complained to family, friends and co-workers, co-workers about my wife's infertility. What I thought was my wife's infertility. Maybe it's because we live in Utah, but whenever the idea of us being infertile came up, people just swarmed in giving my wife recommendations to fertility specialists. The talk was always, my wife saw a doctor whatever and we ended up having twins, or maybe your wife is too stressed out. And I believed it because my wife contracted tuberculosis or TB when she was 20 and volunteering in another country. Her primary care, who she saw when she was back home, just flippantly told her that TB could affect the genital area and prevent her body from housing a baby. In medical lingo, obviously. We finally find a doctor who told us straight up that there was nothing wrong with her fallopian tubes or her endometrium. She suggested that I get tested to see if I'm not the problem. The verdict comes back that I am the one with a very low sperm count. I was so shocked that I went to get another opinion which told me the same thing. I felt so shaken and because a lot of people knew about our struggles, they also knew we went to see a doctor again. At a family and friends gathering, people started asking me about what we found out, and I just panicked and said that my wife's TB was likely the cause, but not 100% necessarily. People saw this as my wife being the problem, and someone even suggested that I go through a divorcing her since I was 32 and complaining about being childless, saying that I could be a dad within a year since it was such a short marriage. What I did not realize was that my mom and aunt would jump on that suggestion and start telling friends and their kids that I was getting a divorce and that it was my wife's fault because she shouldn't have been so reckless when she was young. What was worse was that some people thought it wasn't even tuberculosis, but a bacterial genital disease. 
This all got back to my wife through a friend and she is furious. She said that she could not believe that I have been painting her as the problem when she wasn't even the problem and that she was tired of the pitying and disapproving looks that she was getting in our small town and that I needed to set the record straight or at least tell everyone to shut up and that we're not divorcing. Am I the a-hole? I panicked and felt that I didn't completely lie because tuberculosis could have been exasperating our problem. But my mom really screwed things up by making it malicious. Now I'm in over my head and I feel really bad. Yikes. This whole story is so much yikes. And this guy is an a-hole, I think, to a massive degree. And I think it's actually crazy that after everything he just shared, that he's still trying to blame his mom. It's not his mom's fault. I mean, his mom is also vile, but it's not her fault that this is all happening. It's entirely his fault. But let's just start at the beginning here, because there's a couple of things that really bothered me. First of all, I have been through infertility. And yeah, we talked about it with our friends, but we were not complaining. And we were definitely not going to people who didn't know us closely, like our coworkers. Like that would have been a super huge breach of our trust if my husband went to his coworker to complain about me like I was the problem. And I think culturally, and I don't think this is a Desi thing. I think this is just a human thing. When it comes to birth, we tend to put all the blame, the pressure, everything on the mom because the mom is the one who's giving birth to the baby, right? Like in a cis-heteronormative relationship. And um, I have had this happen to me so many times. Like we also experienced unexplained infertility where we didn't really know what was happening for over a year. And during that time, it wasn't even just friends and family, but it was medical staff that was like, did you get tested for this? Did you get tested for that? It's like, okay, but 50% of the baby is the sperm. I actually saw a TikTok recently where it was like, oh, when your wife only makes girls. And it's like, you do know that it's the husband's chromosome that decides the sex of the baby, right? Like they're the XY. And if they give the X, it's a girl. And if they give the Y, it's a boy. It has nothing to do with the woman's chromosomes at all. But everything seems to be put on the woman. Like, oh, why can't she give birth to a son? Or why can't she give birth to a daughter? And it is a daisy thing that families historically, definitely not mine, but historically prefer sons. Female infanticide is still a thing. And it's always the woman that is blamed if she cannot birth a son. It is not the male. And it is 100% the male contribution. And I felt that way with my infertility journey that it takes two people, it takes a healthy sperm and a healthy egg to make a baby. But all people could talk about was what I should be doing differently, what I could be doing better, what I was doing, what I was not doing. Are you taking on too much stress? And honestly, all that did was put more stress on me. And this was happening from the community at large. But I will say, if this was happening from my husband, that would have been probably the most demoralizing, terrible thing I could ever imagine. Like, even if it was 100% my fault, if my husband was complaining about me and making it seem like I was reckless and all of these things when that's not really true. And even if it was, that shouldn't be coming from your husband. It's just absolutely crazy what this husband has been doing since the beginning. Also, the whole male ego thing is absolutely wild to me. Like I was recently watching this episode of Working Moms and they were pitching this concept of a male birth control pill. And there were so many interesting viewpoints on this male birth control pill because women have been taking birth control for so long. The side effects are absolutely awful. And if a male birth control pill had exactly the same side effects, even the woman in the episode, and I think that probably represents women at large, are like, well, I don't really trust my husband to actually take this pill every day. 
I mean, and there was a scene where a man looked at this pill like, oh my goodness, like nausea. I'm not taking a pill that's going to give me nausea. And it's like, you know, women have been doing this for so long. And the strength that a woman goes through, both in fertility and in birth, is often overlooked and downplayed just because a woman is going through this. I actually saw this really interesting article recently where they talked about women and men who went through similar procedures and the type of medication that was offered afterwards. And let me tell you, the aftercare for men who have had a vasectomy is so much better and so much more rigorous than the aftercare for women who have had a C-section, which is a much more invasive surgery. I think the fact that this man or this excuse of a man couldn't just own up to the fact that his sperm was the issue and couldn't just say that out loud says a lot about him as a person. And I think the thing that really stresses me out about all of this is this wife is like, yeah, tell everybody we're still staying together. Like after your husband has embarrassed you and embarrassed your family in such a big way and your mother-in-law has like basically said, yeah, it's all her fault. She can't give birth. Well. I think that not only does this man have a lot of apologizing to do, but this man has to do some sort of apology tour for this relationship to work. He has to go to every single person he has ever talked to about this, which seems to be a lot of people to say, hey, I have to own up to the fact that it's actually me. It's not her. And the fact that it could have been her and that this woman was going to be ostracized and made to feel so bad by literally everybody around her in the small town, it just makes me feel sad. Like, it's really sad what a woman has to go through in these types of scenarios. And infertility is definitely challenging. And if you are going through infertility and you feel like you want to complain to somebody, I would recommend finding a therapist or somebody who has already been through it before so that you can get kind of a balanced perspective. Because complaining about your wife to random people, it's not a good look. And before we move on to the next story, I do want to say that it definitely sounds, based on the last paragraph of the story, that this guy is just upset because it escalated and because he got caught. He was perfectly comfortable with putting his wife down to make himself look a little bit better, as long as it didn't escalate to where it escalated to. So, so I really feel like this guy doesn't actually have true remorse. Let me know what you think. And let's move on to the next story. Am I the a-hole for walking out of my sister's birthday party after she announced that she was pregnant? Growing up, my sister 26 and I 23 were not that close. She was my parents' favorite daughter. I have always been a little overweight. I had PCOS. My sister was slim and fit. I always held that resentment towards her, especially when she belittled me with my mom, not letting me eat more than one serving of dinner or more than one serving of dessert, telling me that sleeping in was making me gain weight. She always overshadowed my accomplishments. My sister married when she was 23 to a wealthy man 28 from our community were Indian and her marriage was arranged. They have three beautiful kids. I love my niece and nephews more than anything. I married my husband 26 two years ago and we've been trying for a baby for almost a year. My sister always said that it was because I brought shame to my parents for marrying outside of our culture is that I couldn't have a baby. After many negative pregnancy tests, a few months ago we finally had a positive pregnancy test. Unfortunately, when I was four months in, I had a miscarriage. I was devastated. I couldn't believe what was going on. Two months after our tragedy, my family threw my sister a birthday party. There, she and her husband announced that they were pregnant. My heart did ache, but I was happy for them. As the evening went on, my sister kept making comments like, we weren't even trying for a baby. It's so funny how we get pregnant so easily. Just as I thought things couldn't get worse, we were standing with cousins when my sister said, we didn't even want more kids. I was almost contemplating having an abortion. She said that while looking straight at me. 
I am all for women having abortions, but having my sister use it as a weapon against me, showing off how fertile she is, how she was contemplating having an abortion after they decided to keep the baby and announce it, this really hurt me. I was so upset and frustrated. My husband noticed the change in my emotions immediately. We said goodbye to my parents and left the party right away. I got many texts from my sister and cousins calling me jealous and an a-hole for walking out on my sister's birthday party and for not being a part of their pregnancy celebration. My husband and our friends say that I had all the right to feel the way I did, but I'm not sure. Am I the a-hole? This family is honestly so terrible. So PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome is actually a very common thing that a lot of women go through. And it is possible to get pregnant with PCOS, but it does make it a lot harder. And there's a little bit of hormonal challenges where you do put on a little bit more weight and it's all tied to the PCOS. So first of all, I feel really bad that her family didn't even try to understand the experience that she was having. And we're trying to blame her weight on sleeping in or eating too much dessert or all kinds of things, which is already so demoralizing and demotivating. And for this sister to be this flippant and rude right after her own sister had a miscarriage, oh my gosh, that is like terrible. So this miscarriage happened at four months. Both of my miscarriages happened at around eight or nine weeks, but I cannot even imagine having a miscarriage happen after that first trimester. The thing about miscarriages that you might not know is that they're a lot more common than you think. And I didn't realize this until I had mine, but 20% of pregnancies end in miscarriage. So the fact that we don't talk about it is also a little bit sad because when I was going through my first miscarriage, I felt really alone. And I decided to start talking about it after learning the stats. And I realized that a lot of people in my life had gone through something similar. So it would have been really nice to know that there was a community to lean on, which is one of the reasons I still talk about it. So It is common, but a loss is a loss. And I feel like the sister has just been terrible from the beginning. Like to say that your infertility is because you married outside of the culture, that's awful in so many ways. And I feel like I don't even have to justify this or explain this further. That doesn't even make sense. I feel like the sister is probably unhappy and super insecure because I can't imagine why else she would be this rude. I usually try to have empathy for all sides of the story here, and I feel like maybe the cousins and the people who were calling her an a-hole may not have understood the nuance of the conversation. They may not have been there to see how the sister was treating her, or they may not have understood the history of the relationship. So I think that, you know, this person shouldn't feel bad that other people at the party may have had an opinion on a situation because they may not just know about the situation. But it's very hard for me to find empathy for the sister's perspective right now because, you know, when your younger sister is going through something challenging like PCOS and infertility and loss, these are, these are really, really big and difficult things. And honestly, with a family as unsupportive as this one right from the get-go, like, I think it's healthy for this person to create some distance with her family, especially at a time where she's being vulnerable. I think she's found herself a really supportive husband, and that's the person that you should probably be leaning on because your parents and your sister, that's just not not healthy and not good for you, and you deserve so much better. Let's move on to the next story. Am I the a-hole for calling the C-word to my future sister-in-law after she tried to gain sympathy with my miscarriage? I'm sorry if this seems all over the place. I am just so mad that everyone is siding with her. My future sister-in-law, Ella, 30F, is your typical annoyingly bubbly girl. She is always happy and smiling, caring and compassionate. She sounds great. 
My brother, 37 male, is foolishly in love with her, and it seems like the rest of my family is wrapped around her finger. My brother and I, 34 female, grew up very close. When we were 10 and 7 years old, our father passed away, and our mother, 69 female, struggled as a single mom until she met our stepfather, 65 male, who was truly an amazing person. They had our little brother, 28 male, who happens to be Ella's best friend and the reason that she met our brother. 28 days ago, my husband, Mark, 34 male, and I tragically lost our pregnancy at 22 weeks. It was devastating then and still is. I haven't been ready to talk to my therapist about it yet. This was our first pregnancy that progressed this far, so we were filled with hope. Since the loss, I made it clear that I didn't want to talk to anyone and that I didn't want any visits. However, Ella keeps sending deliveries of food every now and then with stupid messages like, you are cared for and we're here for you, thinking of you. It infuriates me to hear Mark commenting on how nice and thoughtful she is. Last night, she asked me if she could come over with my mom and brothers to quickly discuss something about their wedding. She apologized, saying that she knew it wasn't the right time, but the wedding is only a month away and this conversation couldn't be delayed any longer. In essence, Ella wants to postpone the wedding for another six months. It's a small affair hosted at a friend's place, and since she briefly explained the situation, the vendors are willing to change the date at a minimal cost. To paraphrase her, she said, I don't feel like this is the best time to have a wedding. I really want you at my wedding party, and I suspect you won't want to be around people asking you what happened. Of course, everyone started going off about what a great idea it was and how sweet that was of her to move such a special date just to accommodate me. What made me snap was when she said, whenever you feel up to it, we can have a girl's date to get a new dress. Mine was pink, made specifically to fit my growing bump. I screamed at her that she was a C-word for looking for sympathy at my expense, and I hoped my brother and everyone else could see her for the conniving and manipulative piece of work that she was, that the only girl's time I wanted to have was with my beloved girl that wasn't with us anymore. All of them were stunned, and she ran out crying. My brother told me to seek therapy, and my mom and little bro just left. This morning, my husband told me that while he understood and shared my grievance, I shouldn't lash out on innocent people, and she only wanted to help. So, am I the a-hole? First of all, I will say that I'm really sorry for the loss that this person faced, and any kind of loss is not easy, and I think everyone grieves in a different way. So it seems like this person did communicate that she didn't want to talk to anyone, she wanted to be left alone, and if that wasn't respected, then she does definitely have a right to get annoyed. But... To be honest, in this case, I feel like the sister-in-law did everything right. And it's really hard with any sort of loss, I think, to know what the right thing to say is. I've heard a lot of wild things during the losses that I experienced. And I feel like if there was someone in my life like the sister, I would have been so grateful. First of all, food drop-offs, amazing, because, because you don't have to talk to anybody. You don't have to see anyone. You just get food dropped off at your door. That sounds like an amazing thing to have when you're grieving or going through anything difficult, really. And then to move a wedding because you went through this, like this is something she didn't have to do at all. Like, I'll tell you this right now. I might have been upset or annoyed, but if my brother or sister was getting married a month after my miscarriage, I would have got myself together and been there for them for that day and then gone back to doing whatever grieving I wanted to do. But like for this sister-in-law to actually move the wedding, say that whenever you're ready, we can get a new dress. The sister-in-law truly seems like this happy, wonderful person, and I can see why everybody really likes her. I don't know if there's a history there that I'm not privy to for why this became so escalated. And I know that people do tend to be a little bit more reactionary when they're going through a difficult time. So I don't know if there was just a lot of things brewing here, but based on everything that she has shared for this scenario, 
I do feel like the reaction that this woman had was totally not warranted. And I'm not going to call her the a-hole for it because she's going through a difficult period of grief, but she did not need to call anybody names and she didn't need to react in that way when I think it was clear that the intent of the other person was only support. She was not trying to hurt you. She was not trying to do something. She was not purposely, you know, going over any of your boundaries. I think she was just trying to be there for you in the best way that she knew how. And there's a lot of ways to be like, hey, I really appreciate, you know, you sending food, but I just don't want that right now. And I'm sure she would have just not sent more food, right? Let's look at a couple of comments on this one, because I'm curious to know what everybody else thinks. So there was one comment that says that this person is not the a-hole because she set boundaries and her sister-in-law didn't respect them and still tried to talk to her and get in her way when she said she didn't want to talk to anybody. So, okay, fair enough. I still feel like it was an unnecessary escalation, but I can respect that there's other perspectives on this. Oh, this is interesting. The original poster actually commented here and said that the sister-in-law also had a miscarriage. She said, exactly. Why doesn't she understand? She lost a pregnancy earlier this year. She should have understood, right? She acted as if nothing happened after hers. A week later, after the incident, she was being her usual self. I'm so mad at everyone. Okay. This is, the, this is the thing that confuses me because the original poster here is going through a process of grief that doesn't make sense to the sister-in-law. But it also seems like she's judging her sister-in-law for her process of grief where she felt like her usual self after a week. And again, we don't really know that. So I'll tell you, the first miscarriage I had hit me really, really hard. And when I had the second one, it wasn't that much after my first one. And I actually had a work trip scheduled the week after I was supposed to go to Vancouver. And I had told my boss at the time, and she was like, look, if you want to cancel the trip, like, don't worry about the cancellation costs, do what you need to do, stay home with your family. I love Canada and I love my old boss. Um, but I decided to go. So literally five days after I took the mesoprostol, which is the drug that I had to take to medically remove the body because it was a missed miscarriage. So the baby basically didn't make it inside of me, but it was not expelling from my body naturally. So I had to take a drug to kind of help the process. But five days after I took that drug, I was on a flight and anyone who was looking at me might have been like, oh, she just jumped up right out of it and she doesn't care. And that is so harming because nobody knows what I was going through and nobody knows what I was feeling. And to get out of the house and feel normal was what I needed to do in that miscarriage. Just like in the first one, to stay at home and be a potato was what I needed to do. I ended up taking a couple of weeks off of work. So even the way that I dealt with grief changed so much from one to another. So I really can't judge. None of us can judge how somebody else goes through grief. And I just really don't like that. First of all, it seems like she didn't have empathy for the fact that her future sister-in-law also had a miscarriage. And she was also judging the process that the future sister-in-law had because it didn't align with her process. When it seems like the future sister-in-law Ella was being actually really empathetic to the fact that she was going through a different process and even was willing to move her wedding. Okay, this just got really spicy. There was a comment posted by the brother of the original poster. So let's read this one. It says, hey, I'm the big brother. Jesus Christ, Rachel, the next time you want to try to make yourself the victim like you always do, do it on a site I don't use almost every day. You can thank Ella for being the only reason I even kept a relationship with you because she has been that tolerant of your garbage. You made it no secret that you hate her. But hey, smart of you to try to leave out how she's black and you called her way more than the C word. But I think letting everyone know the actual words you called her would not be allowed on this sub. 
But I'll verify for everyone here. You're a bully, a racist, and an a-hole, and you always have been. And way to mention Ella's miscarriage, but not mention your own response to it, which was an eye roll and a smirk, and then to make offhanded comments about how Ella should have been more careful because you thought her working out of the house was bad for the baby. You know what's bad for the baby? A garbage person like you. Ooh, that is spicy. I think it's pretty much confirmed here that this person is definitely a little bit of an a-hole for a couple of reasons. One, for how she reacted to Ella's situation, for any racist remarks that she made, because that is irrelevant of whatever she might be going through. And the fact that she reacted, I'm not going to call her an a-hole for that just because I don't know what her grief process looks like and I don't want to point fingers and I want to be empathetic. But yeah, there's no excuse for racism and for calling people names. So final verdict, a-hole. Let's move on to the next story. Am I the a-hole for not giving my sister-in-law a heads up about our pregnancy announcement and then calling her the B-word? Why is everybody calling everybody names? I, 29 female, and my fiancé Dan, 29 male, are expecting. I am 24 weeks pregnant. I have mostly been wearing baggy clothing to hide the bump, especially with my history of miscarriages. My sister-in-law Jess, 27 female, is infertile. My heart hurts for her, but the way my in-laws handle it is, in my opinion, pathetic. You can't have pregnancy announcements, no children under 5 can attend family events, and despite her rules, recently me and Dan both agreed that it was time to announce our pregnancy. We both agreed that we would do a surprise gender reveal. We had the doctor give us an envelope on what the gender was at our last appointment. We hosted a gathering where we would announce it and also had a party for the gender reveal when sister-in-law arrived with her husband. When she found out, she was angry and asked why I didn't give her a heads up as I know how she feels about this. I told her I don't have to tell her anything and she didn't have to be such a bee about it. She stormed out and has been ghosting me and I'm now blocked on all of her socials. Am I the a-hole? I will say... I agree to one point. I think that the family's reaction to her being infertile is not really helpful. And I'm also confused about what the game plan is. Do you just like have a kid in secret and then show up five years later? Like, here's this five-year-old child, but I can't talk about how he came into this existence. So, so here's this five-year-old child I just picked up from the street. Like, how does this work? I'm, I'm really confused about the logistics of the no kids under five thing. Um, but I do think it's an unhealthy response to what she's going through. And the sister-in-law, if that's what she needs to feel comfortable is to never see a child under five, then it is going to be really hard for her to face society. And I think that if your entire life and the lives of people around you are being crippled in the long run by how you want to deal with grief or loss or any challenge that you're going through, it might be worth it to have a talk with a professional to see how you can set yourself up so that you can exist in the world around you in a more healthy way. And maybe that might mean that you avoid certain events. So if there's a gender reveal or a birthday party or something going on with kids and you feel uncomfortable, maybe you excuse yourself, but let the world live. So I do agree that it's kind of a bonkers reaction. But that being said, if that is how this family has chosen to deal with the infertility, and this person clearly knows that her sister-in-law is having a hard time with her infertility. I think that the least that she could have done, it would have been a very easy thing to do, would be to have called her earlier to be like, I know you don't like these types of events, but this is my baby, and this is something that I want to do for my baby, for my family, so you cannot come or you can leave. I'm going to do the gender reveal at 5, so you can leave by 4.30. Like There could have been ways to have that 
conversation with her so that the sister-in-law could have at least had some sort of autonomy to be like, okay, am I going to attend or am I not going to attend or how am I going to deal with this? And if everyone was mad at her for even having this gender reveal after knowing the rules, that would be on them because there was a respectful communication before. But I think to spring this on them, and it actually kind of seems like she waited for the sister-in-law to arrive to do the gender reveal, that's like really terrible. It seems almost pointed, like she was trying to create drama and don't use your kid to create drama. Like I think you should have the right to celebrate your kid, your pregnancy, your birth, however you want to celebrate it. And especially if you have a history of miscarriages, but I think there's a respectful way to let people know if you know it's going to bother them. And I will say, when I had my first miscarriage, I kind of got into my head that I was never going to enjoy another pregnancy again. Like I might get pregnant again, but it'll never be magical. It'll never be beautiful. And then I had my second miscarriage and I kind of got deeper into that resolve. And after my second miscarriage is when I had over a year of unexplained infertility where we were just not getting pregnant. And I was with the fertility clinic and we were going through a lot of different testing and cycle monitoring to figure out what's going on. And we couldn't really figure out what was happening. But during this time, I decided that if I was ever blessed with the miracle of a pregnancy, that I was going to enjoy it to the fullest. And if it terminated like the earlier ones, then it was going to terminate with the fact that I knew that whatever time I had with my baby, even if it was a couple of weeks of pregnancy, that they were going to be happy and peaceful and magical. So I did decide in my pregnancy that ended up with Arushi that I was going to truly enjoy it to the fullest and do everything that I could to make it magical and I did things I thought I would never do like I wasn't a huge fan of baby showers or gender reveals or any of that stuff but I was like you know what I made it far enough to know the gender of my baby I'm gonna make it a thing I made it far enough to you know actually celebrate a baby shower to do a you know the simandam and the valagapa which is the Tamil or Hindu celebrations that we do in our culture I was like, I'm going to do all of it because I want to celebrate this pregnancy to the fullest. So I truly understand if you have a history of miscarriages, why you would want to celebrate your milestones to the fullest. Yeah. So I don't think this person is the a-hole for that at all. I think that this person deserves to celebrate anything they want, despite the sister-in-law and all of the kind of bizarro rules around that. And this person shouldn't have to hide their experience or their baby for five years for that matter. But yeah, I think there was just a better way to go about it. But let me know what you think. Am I being too nice on this one? And one final story. Am I the a-hole for belittling my sister and saying that she shouldn't demand that her husband help her with her baby at night? My husband and I, 29 male and 27 male, okay, two males, went through the surrogacy process and had our son four months ago. We were thrilled when my sister, 31 female, announced her pregnancy and we found out we would be having children at the very same time. Our niece was born a little over two months after our son. My situation and my sister's closely mirror each other. Our husbands both work typical 9 to 5s with 30-45 minute commutes. My sister is a stay-at-home mom and I do freelance work from home. For the first two weeks our son was born, the first of which my husband took off of work, we would both take partial night shifts. Once I felt like I had some of my bearings on parenthood, I offered to take over completely on weeknights while he does mornings before work and weekends. It's a collaborative process and that breakdown of parenting just made sense to me. My husband was the one leaving our home to work every day and he was the one who had to be up by a specific time to make the drive. 
At four months, we no longer have this obstacle anymore. And to be honest, I kind of miss the sweet, quiet bonding time those extra night feeds provided. Now that he's settled into a sleep schedule and only wakes up once. Still, I think we got it down to almost the perfect science before we exited the newborn stage. My sister, on the other hand, is very much still in that phase and struggling. This has been a recurring problem for her since the beginning. She's been coming to me saying that she's scared she's going to fall asleep holding the baby, that her husband won't help her with the night feeds, etc. I tried to give her tips since I've been through it. I suggested she let her partner take over in the evenings, like 6 to 9 p.m., so she can go to bed early and catch a few more hours, nap when the baby naps, etc. She shot down everything, saying that wouldn't work for them and that she just needed her partner to do the night feedings. I reminded her that her husband was the one commuting in the mornings and falling asleep while driving is also a real possibility and that I had lived through it and so could she. I then offered to watch her daughter for a few days so she could catch up on sleep. She took major offense to both of these things. She said that I was belittling her experience and acting like I was a better parent. She said I couldn't truly empathize with her or give her valuable tips since she had been pregnant and I hadn't and that me offering to watch my niece just felt like me saying that she needed help raising her own daughter. My intentions were definitely not malicious, but I'd like some outside perspective here. Am I the a-hole? Okay, there's a couple of things I want to say here. First of all, I don't think that it was wrong for the sister to say that she went through birth and her brother didn't. I don't think that was a slight in any way because going through birth is a major, major process. Just hormonally, the recovery period, when you go through birth, you need a lot more support than the person who didn't go through birth. Like even if you choose to formula feed and you decide not to breastfeed, the amount of changes that my body was going through at that time and just the amount of terrible that I felt when I woke up in the morning and everything just hurt, like I needed way more support than my husband would have needed if he was taking on feeding the baby 24-7. And I feel like somebody who didn't go through that experience, including my husband, wouldn't really have the right to say that, oh, you know, you should just be able to manage. So that's one thing right there. I don't think that this brother is going through a similar experience, nor do their scenarios mirror each other. So let's just start there. The other thing too is that every single baby is very different. I think the fact that this brother's baby is sleeping through the night with one wake at 4 a.m. feels like some sort of miracle to me because even now with my 15 month old, if she sleeps through the night, it's like some sort of miracle. Some babies sleep and some babies are not great sleepers and there are things you can do, but until six months, there's really not much you can do. And I remember when I was going through that four month sleep regression and I was exclusively breastfeeding, I still am. So the nights during that four month sleep regression were some of the hardest things I have ever had to experience because sometimes she was up like eight times at night and then she would be up at 5 a.m. for the day. And the amount of exhaustion that I felt, like I was very, very much in newborn stage at that four month period just because of the exhaustion. And I think that sleep deprivation is one of the hardest things to get over. Falling asleep with a baby is a real risk. It is really scary. And I think that there is a way for this husband of the sister to take on some of that burden without falling asleep at the wheel on the way to work. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of things that a husband can do to support that's not 6 to 9 p.m. Like he can take on one or two night wakes and still be totally fine to go to work the next day. And I think this is another thing that I found really frustrating going through this whole maternity leave process is that people value a full-time job a heck of a lot more than they value the full-time job of raising a child. And raising a child is arguably much more important and much more long-lasting than whatever meeting you had at 10 a.m. today or whatever coffee you had at 2 p.m. today, right? But the thing is that 
It's like, oh, but I have to wake up at nine to go to work. There's nothing I can do. I have to be at work at nine. It's like, well, yes, I have to wake up at five for the baby. Uh, yeah, I had to wake up at two for the baby and then three for the baby. Like taking care of a baby has probably been one of the hardest jobs I've ever had. And I've been working for over a decade. Granted, I'm in finance, but taking care of a baby has been one of the hardest jobs I have ever had hands down because even when I was in the office, I could make a part of my schedule work for me. I had vacation days where I could just take the day off. I could leave work early if I had an appointment or a pickup or something to do. I had a little bit more flexibility in my life with my full-time job that I honestly don't have as a mom because if my kid decides she's up at five for the day, she's up at five for the day. So in the earlier stages, I was taking on a lot of the burden of waking up at night and waking up in the morning, mostly because I was exclusively breastfeeding. Now that she feeds less, I have been splitting a lot more of that time with my partner and it has made a huge difference to just my mood and how I feel every day because I'm just a little bit better rested. So I really do think it's not fair for the husband or the partner that's going to work to be excluded from any of the challenging parts of child raising because it's their child too. And it is challenging, especially those earlier formative years. And it's up to everybody to come together to see what the person across of you needs, not to be like, well, this is what worked for me. And I'm out of the newborn stage and I'm such a great dad. I think it's to say, okay, based on your scenario, if you need help overnight, you need help overnight. So what can I do to help? I think one thing that the brother did do that was nice was he offered to watch the baby for a couple of days. And maybe he would have had a rude awakening that this is not a sleeping baby. But I can totally see how after everything that this brother said, why the sister would be like, you're just saying I can't take care of my child. I even feel that even now when I leave my baby with my parents or my in-laws, there's a little part of me that's like, am I doing this because I can't take care of my child because I'm home all day and I should be able to manage this and, I'm, and I just need a break. Uh, so there is that guilty feeling that happens inside. And I think that guilty feeling was really, really strong in those early stages when we had the sleep regressions and she was still kind of in that newborn infancy stage. So I totally get why she feels the guilt, but I also feel like the sister is probably going to just benefit from getting the help of her brother get a couple of hours off take a nap take a shower like do what you need to do I was thinking that the other day like I had put my baby to sleep and I went to go wash my hair and I was like oh my goodness like just a couple of months ago if I had to wash my hair at any time of day I had my monitor on full volume I was stressed half of the time I barely got to style my hair because she would be crying and then I would have to go feed her or do something or take care of something and it just felt nice to have that dignity back because I washed my hair and I was styling it. And I'm like, oh, I forgot to turn the monitor on because she was sleeping because I didn't need to. I knew that she was going to sleep through that stretch. And it was just such a great feeling. So in those early days, I would definitely, when my husband was working and I just wanted to take a bath, I would call my dad or someone over to the house to be like, can you just spend an hour with the baby so I can just go do my thing? So it does take a village. And I think in today's kind of individualistic society, not everyone has a village. So if someone's offering the help, it is not a personal attack. And even if it is, just take the help, like take the help, do what you need to do, feel human, because you're going to be a much better mom and partner and everything. If you just take a little moment to yourself and accept the help, even if accepting the help and handing over your baby gives you a little bit of anxiety. So that's my thoughts. Let's see if there's any comments or updates. It looks like the comments agree with what I'm saying, but there is an update. So let me read that. It says, 
I have apologized because I was definitely the a-hole for these comments, even if I didn't intend to be. My sister accepted the apology and hopefully moving forward, I can truly be the listening ear she needs and not someone who offers solutions that weren't asked for, especially when our circumstances aren't at all that similar. My husband has clearly been taking on many more parenting duties than hers, and she and my niece both deserve better than that. Okay, so this is definitely a win. It seems like this brother's heart was in the right place, and he probably didn't fully understand the postpartum experience and didn't understand the dynamics of their relationship. But it's really great to see that this brother and sister have reconciled. And it's really amazing that this brother and sister, they live close enough. These cousins are going to grow up together. And it makes me happy to know that, you know, they're truly there for each other. And I hope that the sister can take the brother's help and maybe just get a little break. So before we ended this episode, I did want to just share a couple of things on my own experience. Just to put it out there in case someone you know is going through something like this or if you're going through something like this, I think when you're approaching someone who has experienced loss or infertility or any of these challenging things, to just do it with empathy instead of judgment, people are often not asking for advice. They're often just coming to you to be a listening ear. So if you're not sure what they want from you, you can just ask, do you just want me to listen and hear you out or do you want advice? Because If they just want a listening ear, that's probably the easiest thing that you can provide to make someone feel supported and loved. And offering advice when people don't want advice from you often comes across in a bad way. And especially when people are going through something difficult and you know that they're probably already elbows deep in doctor's appointments and research and whatever they're doing to cope, they don't need an outside opinion or they've probably already considered it. So always just ask someone if they want advice before offering advice. And try to keep your judgments to yourself. I mean, I think as humans, we tend to have judgments. I literally have judged five different people here today. If you can just be open to the fact that someone else might have a different experience than you, it might make your judgment come from a more genuine place. Um, The other thing I found a lot of was toxic positivity. And I truly, truly have nothing against anyone who came at me with toxic positivity because I know their hearts were in the right place. But Basically, what happened was when I shared my miscarriage with some people, I think in order to minimize it or to make me feel better, they said things like, oh, you should be so happy that it happened so early, or thank goodness it didn't happen later, or good thing we live in Canada where you got support to take time off of work. And all of those things were true. I know in a lot of ways that I'm privileged. I know what the benefits of having an early miscarriage versus a late miscarriage were. But when someone's going through a thing, anything, don't minimize what they're sharing with you. Don't minimize their experience. Don't minimize their feelings because even if it could be worse, because it can always be worse, you should not minimize what someone is going through. Their feelings are totally valid and they have the right to process that. So if a part of you wants to make someone feel better by reminding them that their problems are not that bad, I don't think it has the intended impact, if you know what I mean. You know, like if you were frustrated about something that happened at work or something that happened at school or something, you know, trivial, that frustration is still valid. But if somebody came to you and they're like, you know, people are dying. I mean, that is also true. Those two things exist at the same time. But you are still allowed to be frustrated. You're allowed to feel grief. You're allowed to feel lost. You're allowed to go through your experience however you want to. And your feelings are valid. So let other people also know that their feelings are valid. And I think this is actually something I've seen a lot in Desi families where if you have a feeling or a big emotion or something that makes somebody else feel uncomfortable, the first response that people tend to have is like, 
oh my goodness, you should be so grateful because it could be so much worse. Or like, do you know how it was for me growing up? It could be so much worse. Oh, you're complaining about your school bus. I had to walk to school in the village, uphill both ways. Like it can always be worse, but I feel like by sharing those experiences, people are coming at it from a good heart. They want the other people to be like grateful and be reminded that things could be worse. But the thing is that it takes away the feeling that the person had and it's not fair to that person because whatever that person is experiencing is valid. Like I even remember having fights with my sister when I was younger, nothing major. We were never really fighters, but the response I would always get was like, oh, but you should be so grateful to have a sister. I didn't get to live with my siblings and, you know, sisters should be best friends. And it was like, okay, but I'm going through this thing now and nobody's acknowledging it. And that's kind of how I felt going through my infertility struggles as well. A lot of times people wanted to make me feel better by not acknowledging what I was feeling by saying that, oh, you know how you can feel better by not having the feeling. And that's just not fair either. So the other thing I would also like to say is that if you are going to a fertility clinic, you sometimes have to advocate to get your partner tested if you're a woman. Like I had to advocate to get my partner tested and check out sperm motility and things like that. It was not something that was readily offered, which is crazy because it takes two people to make a baby. So make sure you advocate for yourself and make sure that your partner is also on board to take vitamins and to make sure that they're the healthiest that they can be because that definitely did help our chances when we did eventually get pregnant. Also from just like a medical healthcare perspective in general, you always have to advocate for yourself as a woman. And I think the thing with birth and fertility in general is that so many women give birth that it's almost kind of like, what's the big deal? Everybody does it. And people truly believe that. So, you know, empathize with your partners who have just given birth. This is a major hormonal shift. The hormonal shift that happens in the three weeks after birth is the same as the hormonal shift that happens in like the three, four years of puberty. So it is that big. So please empathize with the woman and the people around you. And as a woman, I have to say, advocate for yourself. If you feel pain, go to the doctor, stand up for yourself, get the care you need, get the medication you need, get the support you need, because people often take moms for granted. And this is something that I have learned in such a big way. Anyways, on that note, there was a lot we talked about here, and I am open to answering any questions about my journey, fertility, fertility clinics, any questions you have. So reach out to me everywhere you listen to podcasts at Masala Takes, and we will see you next week at another episode. Bye. Talk to you soon. The past couple of years for me have been wild. I've had two major job changes. I started an art business. I even had a baby and went on maternity leave. But through all of that, I managed to keep painting and singing. I even started a podcast. And the thread holding this entire period of my life together has been this Shri's Arts Journal. This journal has specifically curated prompts designed to help all of us be way more intentional with our time and to manifest the future of our dreams. In my journal from four years ago, I had drawn myself sitting on a couch looking at a lake, and today I literally have that exact lake view. In my journal from three years ago, I started to use the goal setting pages to manifest being self-employed and having my own business. Within a few months, I had started my art business, and it happened by chance. In the journal entry I made in my first trimester, I had drawn myself living this maternity life where I could be a mom but still balance creativity and personal fulfillment, and I'm literally living that life today. There are so many specific questions in place to get us really thinking about what we want. I wasn't actively working on any of these goals, but my subconscious was definitely at work because I had written all of these things down. 
There are also a lot of prompts in place for reflection. I'm not the best personally at celebrating my personal wins, so seeing them all on one page has been really great for self-worth and for motivation. I have never been the most consistent person with journaling outside of my annual journaling period, and one thing I really love about the Shree's Arts Journal is that most of the prompts and the coloring book style affirmation pages are all free-flowing. They're just there when I'm ready to take a moment to look inwards. This journal was made for the busiest of us. There are literally no commitments. And this is the last year this journal will ever be in production. There are a very limited amount of these left, so make sure you check out the link in the description and use the code MASALA for $10 off. Let 2024 be our year of being more mindful and introspective. Again, use the code MASALA, M-A-S-A-L-A, for $10 off. Let's get back to the episode. <laughs> 